Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is The Same Page. Now, let me tell you where we're going today. There's a thing called Edgar Dale's Cone of Experience. Anybody ever heard of Edgar Dale's Cone of Experience? Maybe some of the teachers, maybe nobody. There we go. That's good. This will be a new thing. It's a big cone, kind of a pyramid-looking thing, and this is what he came up with. The very top and the smallest end of the spectrum, what people generally remember, he said, he came up with this, 10% of what you read, you remember. These are verbal receiving. So if you just sit here and listen to a message, you're going to remember about 10% of what you read, 20% of what you hear. So 20% of what you hear today, you'll remember. 30% of what you see, you remember. Watch still pictures, watch moving pictures. Have you ever watched a movie? And you watch the movie and think, I've seen that movie. And then a year or two later, you watch the same movie and you can't remember anything that happened in the movie. Oh, I forgot that happened. How can you see a movie and not remember? But if I threw a name of a movie out and I said, tell me everything that happened, what they're saying is about 30% of it you could remember, but the rest you'd be clueless until you saw it again. 50% of what they hear and see. So if you go to an exhibit of some kind and you are listening to someone talk and you see something, about 50% of that you'll remember. If you watch a demonstration or you do a site visit of some kind. 70% of what they say or write. So when you speak something or you're the one writing, that's why teachers will encourage you to write something down if you're studying, because about 70% of that people remember if they say it, they actually speak it, or they write it. 90% of what they say as they do a thing, they'll remember. You're talking while you are doing it. You say as you do a thing, that's the seeing and doing. Now... What does all this have to do with God, church, Jesus, or anything? The greatest teacher that ever lived showed up on the planet, and he did more than just show up, get nailed to a cross, die for our sins, be buried and raised from the dead. Now, that would have been enough, you say, because that's what we need to get into heaven. But most people that I know, when they become a Christian, don't drop dead. Some people actually live. Some people a long time. So there is something else going on. There is something tied to him coming, staying, living, teaching. And what did he do? He grabs 12 guys and he walks up to him. He says, follow me. And they followed him. Bunch of people end up following, but none like those 12. One of those guys commits suicide. Some of them you don't even hear about anymore, but a handful of them actually followed him and got it, and you see the consequence of that. But what did Jesus do? He did not set up shop in some temple someplace in the Holy of Holies and come out through the curtain once a year and say some profound you know, thing and retreat back in there. He was with these guys. He was touchable. He was with the crowd. He was out there in the midst. He'd retreat sometimes, but then he was out there feeding the people, healing the people. He was out there doing the deal that he wanted them to do. He was saying and doing, and he showed them how to do the same. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. 
We're going to look at Luke chapter 9 and 10. We're not going to read the whole, both chapters, but I'm going to jump through here and just kind of taking this as a, not a random sampling, but to show you how this deal happened. If you do a study, for instance, in the Bible, and the word, just a little phrase, Jesus taught them saying, Jesus taught them saying over and over, he would teach them things, and he said it, and he did it, and they watched it. He was with them, and they learned from the master. He was literally the master at doing what he was asking them to do, not just the master of the universe. He knew the deal. So go to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together, so he calls them together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And then look what he does. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded, so I know it's probably not John, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him, and the apostles when they had returned. So they go out, they come back, and they told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. So he takes these guys. Now, does he say, follow me and immediately send them out? No. Chapter 9, you go read from 1 to 9, he's already been with them. They've been following him. He has spoken and shown them what happens. If he'd speak and say something to a demon, the demon would go. If he healed someone, boom, they saw it happen. So when he sent them out, they had a category. They knew what to do. They kind of knew what to say. And it's not about slapping somebody in the forehead, evil demon, come out. You know, it's not all that weird stuff. We got Saturday Night Live skits built on this mess because it gets so jacked up in craziness. If you have power, you don't have to scream at somebody. Open the door. Who is it? Well, it's me. What do you mean it's me? Well, you know it's me. You know my voice. Open the door. And they open the door. When Jesus gives you authority, you have authority. The problem is we don't know what to do with what he's given us because we really haven't spent enough time with him or someone who has spent enough time with him to show us how to do it. We don't have a plan. We are the best at the best in some areas in our lives, everything else but what God asked us to do. Some of you can take a motor apart. There are men, women probably sitting here listening today who if I said, I got a car outside, could you go out there and tear the whole engine apart, take it out, put it back together and make it run? And you'd say, absolutely. Right? People know how to do that. How do you know how to do that? You either learned it the hard way or someone showed you. We have medical students in our church and nobody becomes a doctor playing doctor. Right? One in particular guy said to me, you know, all this discipleship thing you're talking about, it's what we do in medical school. 
How does he know how to do that? How is he learning how to do that? He is in an OR, an operating room, with surgeons who are extremely skilled, who learn from someone else, have been doing it a while, and he watches, he watches, and then one day one of those surgeons hands him a scalpel and says, you make the cut in more ways than one. And they stand there and you either get it right, oh, I'm sorry, can I try again? No, you just slice the guy open, get it right the first time. So you make the cut and he goes in and he does his work and then he learns and he's up and running and then one day he realizes there's young guys coming, young men and women coming behind me and I am not just going to be able to be selfish and say, well, I'm a surgeon, good luck, I'm not helping. I couldn't be a surgeon unless someone would help me be a surgeon. So I'll be patient with you, I'll teach you. So we want people that know what they're doing to cut us open physically in all these other areas of our life. Financially, we want the best counselors, but we got nobody to turn to and churches don't help. And I've kind of about decided that we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a plan. And we don't want a plan because if we actually get a plan, we're going to have to engage in the process and do it. But if we actually do it, it changes the world. All right, let's jump back in here in the scripture. Takes them away privately. Probably debriefs them. They got to take a break. Listen to what happened. What happened out there? What did you experience? Sends them out. They come back. You keep reading through this passage. He does some more stuff. Feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children that are out there. Asks them some more questions. Go down to verse 21, Luke chapter 9. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He had asked them, well, let's go to verse 20. He had been talking to him about who people said that he was. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God, the Messiah. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, and listen to this, If anyone desires to come after me, you want to come after me and follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you have to deny yourself to pay attention, take notes, and be prepared to give it to somebody else, right? You want to follow him? Deny yourself. Now, what does that mean in what I'm talking about? You say, well, nobody ever gave me any time. Nobody ever helped me. Are you willing to say, God, I have got to figure this out, not just for myself, but there are other people around me who are never going to get it and feel the same way I have felt for however many years I've been alive or since I became a Christian. I've got to figure out how I'm going to help somebody else. I'm willing to get help in order to help somebody else. I will deny myself and jump in the game. Go down to verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And he prayed. The appearance of his face was altered and his robe became like white and glistening. This is the transfiguration. Elijah and Moses show up. I mean, it's crazy stuff. You read your Bible and go, oh yeah, sure that happened. You did flipped out. Dead people showing up up on a mountain and Jesus' his whole, you know, goes fluorescent on them or whatever happened to him. You know, it's just crazy stuff. And so they're seeing all this. Keep going through that passage. Enough of that chapter. Go to chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. You can read the rest of that. It's all good, but anyhow, we don't have time to read it all. Luke chapter 10. So he's called these 12. They've been following him. And there must be some other people around. It's not just these 12, because in chapter 10, look what happens in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So all of a sudden, the 12 jumps to another 70. 
Now, where are these people? They must have been following and tracking and watching too because all of a sudden he says to them, and he doesn't tell the 12 this, but the 70, he says, you're going to go two by two. So we got 35 groups, two in a group, and he sends them out. And look what he tells them. Appoints them, sends them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Where do you think these laborers come from? Where do the doctors come from? Where do these people come from? They have to be trained. And so we say, well, Lord, send us laborers. If I am in the middle of a harvest, I have planted seed, I have fertilized, I have made sure that if there's irrigation, I have spent my whole year, everything about me, making sure that I get a harvest, I don't want some random person walking up going, hey, I'll help. Dude, we don't need just help. We need someone who knows what they're doing. I need a skilled person. This harvest is going to last this long. We have a window. And if you've ever harvested anything, you leave it in the field, it will rot. So when you're praying for laborers in the harvest, you're not just saying, God, send us help. You're saying, God, send us some qualified help. But that starts somewhere. You say, okay, someone has to figure it out in order to train someone, to train someone, to train someone, so that the bigger the harvest gets, the more actual harvesters, not just volunteers, but people who are willing to harvest. Now, here's what is so fascinating about this. I know as sure as I'm standing here, only a fraction of you are going to pay attention. But I'm saying words. I'm reading you scripture. I can tell you what the scripture says. You know, as you're going, make disciples. I can give you all the documented stuff, but some of you will stare at me, and what will happen to you is you'll have a job. You'll get married, maybe. You'll have some kids, maybe. You'll save some money, maybe. You'll have you a little house, maybe. You might even buy a house. You might even get a promotion. You might go on some vacations. And you'll end up 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. You'll die. And you have made a difference on the planet almost whatsoever. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I give money to United Way. I put a few bucks in the basket here. I was nice to some old lady at the Walmart. What do you want from me? I want you to do and be what he said to be. And he said, make disciples. And if we don't put that message out there and challenge you, then you're going to get to heaven and go, what happened? Why didn't somebody tell me I missed the whole deal? You say, but I'm telling my story. I'm sharing my faith. That's like having a baby. Raise a kid. A life producing a life producing a life. And you can't shut people up with grandkids. You know why you're easy to shut up? You got no grandkids. You got nothing to talk about. And you get frustrated and say, God, why is my life not making a difference? What have you done to engage in the process and say, God, equip me to be able to help someone else who will know how to help someone else, take some notes, and be able to repeat what it is I'm giving them? You are not going to remember it if you don't write it down. And you're really not going to remember most of it unless you are doing it and saying it yourself. And it's not just saying it. Because there are a lot of people saying it. It's the doing and the saying that create the nuclear reaction that changes the world. So he sends them out, these 35 groups of two, tells them the harvest is plentiful, tells them what to do. You get in a town, and I'm trying to be nice. I'm getting old and crotchety, I think, and I'm still trying to be nice, but I'm losing patience. And what he's told them to do, you go into a town, and they go, we're not interested. Then wipe the dust off your feet and say, you know what? Good luck, brother. 
It'd be better off for Sodom, Gomorrah, the whole pack of them than you because Jesus showed up in your town and you said, I don't think so. Go down to verse 16. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We use your name and bam, we got power. And he said to them, he said, well, you want to hear something interesting? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You think you've seen some demon stuff? I was there when the brother fell. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then he says, as cool as all that is, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't get excited just because you said my name and demons took off. The real thing to get excited about is, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what you get excited about. I got a place. He knows my name. I'm going to make it. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Now, let me tell you who's going to do what I'm talking about doing and what Jesus is talking about doing. It's not the wise and the prudent. I used to think we got to get some more sophisticated people in the church. Let's get some hardworking, money-making, you know, wise kind of nice to be around, not a lot of problem people. Let's get some of those people in here. You know what? I'll take the babes any day now. Someone who's teachable, someone who didn't just sit there and stare at you and go, well, maybe not. We don't like this. Kind of pick and choose. I'm not really hungry. Just a little sample thing. When I sit down with somebody and they go, dude, I got to figure this out. You got to help me. It's not just for me. I got to figure out how to help someone else. I get it. Those are the babes. Those are the people that want to grow, that are hungry, looking for milk, and then milk has to turn to something else, and they want to help someone else get it. And you go read Paul, what he said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, teach faithful men who will teach others also. Do not waste your time on flakes. You say, that's a horrible thing to say. Don't waste your time on flakes. Well, I just want to feel better. Okay, I'll talk to you a little bit. If someone comes to you and says, look, I am willing to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow. I'll listen. I'll do whatever I have to do. Who have you got like that? Show me your disciples. Show me the people who have been following you, imitating you. You go over there and read. Let's jump over there really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 and following. And this is Paul writing to him in Corinth. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved brethren, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, which you could have 10,000 people just kind of teaching you random stuff, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I'm your dad. There is a difference in teachers and a father's responsibility. Therefore, I urge you, this is what he tells them, imitate me. Do you, do I have anything worth imitating? You don't want your kids to end up looking like you? Then change. Draw a line instead of doing a line and say, we're not going to be this way anymore. And I'm getting some help so I can help you. Keeps reading. He says, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, 
who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul says, I'm not coming. I'm sending Timothy. And what is it about Timothy? He is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways in Christ. You've forgotten. You've gotten off base. He's going to come remind you because he knows what I've taught him, and he's going to remind you of that. Go back over to Luke chapter 10. We're almost done here. More questions, more Jesus talking and showing them stuff. Go down to verse 38. Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, Martha welcomed him into her house. That's not a bad thing. Okay, and she had a sister called Mary. So, simple deal, Jesus goes into a city, Mary, Martha. Martha says, hey, come into our house. That's a good thing. He's just sent these 70 out. If they don't let you in, they let him in. There they come in. The second he's in the house, he obviously sits down, or whether he sits down or not, look what Mary does. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She sat down and goes, somebody's in my house. This is what I need to do. I need to sit here and listen. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, let me tell you why I'm including these verses in this. You say, I don't like the tone of this. I serve in the church. I give money. I serve. I do not like the way I feel. Well, if you feel bad, it may be because you should feel bad. Because there is more to this than serving bitterly. If all your serving so legit, you'd have joy in it. And wouldn't be mad at me for saying you should be making disciples. You say, but you can't expect me to do something I don't know how to do. Exactly, I don't. We're saying we're going to try to help you learn how to do it so you can do it. But you may have to sit at Jesus' feet and listen and learn instead of run off distracted by much serving when you should have been listening to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Look what she does. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? do something. Aren't you God or something? She should be where women belong in the kitchen with me. I'm having to do this all by myself. Get her in here. And look at his response. Jesus answered and said to her, when somebody says your name twice, it's usually not really good. If they use your middle name, you're done. (laughs) Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, when he said one thing is needed, what do you think he was talking about? What did she do? She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Is there a time to serve? Absolutely. But you better get hooked up with Jesus and find out what he wants you doing, when he wants you doing it, or you're just spinning your wheels. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest, real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. Now you say, well, you say you're not going to waste your time on people anymore. I sit with people for hour upon hour upon hour, week after week, listening to stuff, stuff I wish I hadn't heard sometimes. 
But what my radar is up on now is not just saying, you people should be doing this. I am trying to engage in such a way and say, okay, God, if I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get some help, find a roadmap that works that I can use, and I personally am going to take a couple of guys, four guys, however many I think I can handle, and start going through this process, but I am telling these men before I get into this with them, if you don't promise me going in that you will do this with two other people yourself, I'm not wasting my time anymore, because it will die with them. I am not making any more babies this way unless you promise me grandchildren. And get a commitment out of the grandchildren once you make them that they're going to make some grandchildren. Because I don't want this dying with me. Because all I can figure out, if he has left me down here, there better be a good reason. And I think this is the reason to make disciples. If not, get me out of here. Because there's no end to the problems. Is this making sense to everybody? I am begging you. I am beseeching you. In Jesus' name and for his sake. For Christ's sake, yours and everybody else's. Let's get on the same page. Let's figure out how to do this together. Are you willing to commit and say, Jesus, use me. When I'm dead and gone, I want to leave some kind of legacy that brings honor and glory to you. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.